Welcome to the next installment of the SUS News Podcast Series, where we interview newsmakers and usually discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. I'm your program host, Patrick Egan, and as we always do at this time, we say uh, hello and welcome to our co-host, Mr. Gene Robinson. Hello, Patrick. How are you doing this morning, sir? Uh, good. It's, it's, it's all good. Uh, it's like springtime weather. I can't complain. Uh, it's all good. It's, uh, you know, loving it. Uh, you so, know, uh, it, it, here, we we've got a beautiful Texas sunny, you know, winter's day. But, you know, we only have two seasons. We have summer and not summer. And we're, we're kind of in that not summer phase. And, you know, it's, I, I could use some more heat, actually. So... I know, I heard you had some big uh, temperature swings, but, uh, well, you know, enjoy the variation. You know, <laughs> variety is the spice of life. I got a whole bag of platitudes right here that I can uh, <laughs> I can share with you. Um, well, today's, today's uh, let's say, podcast is going to be a little different. We're getting out of our own wheelhouse. We're going to get into someone else's wheelhouse. And uh, so, you know... Well, I'm going to bring on our guest today. We're going to talk with uh, Matthew Lasher, who is the executive director of the SS Jeremiah O'Brien National Liberty Ship Memorial. Matthew, you out there? I am. I am. Hey, uh, Pat and Gene, thanks for having me. Hey, no problem. I thought, um, like I said, this is a little out of our wheelhouse, but uh, I thought this would uh, be a podcast of merit. Sometimes we, we step out of our square. And I think this one is good um, because we've, we've, you know, the, the history and all of the other things associated with this. I, I think it's going to be an interesting podcast. And um, but before we kind of let's say dive in to to the uh, subject matter, possibly Matt, you could give us a, a little bio about yourself and how you found yourself to become involved with the uh, SS Jeremiah O'Brien. Well, sure thing. Uh, you know, a little bit, a little bit. I guess a little bit about me is I retired. I'm a retired Marine, so I spent about 20 years as an enlisted Marine. Retired as a Master Sergeant um, in, in uh, 2016. And in that time, I spent about half of my career in the Marine Corps recruiting force. And, and during that period, I met my uh, my wife Christy, who is a uh, resident of California and uh, has family members that have uh, participated, volunteered, um, supported the Jeremiah O'Brien. That's sort of how I, you know, while I was in service, how I came to know the Jeremiah O'Brien. Upon me retiring uh, in in 2016, uh, my predecessor, uh, Elizabeth, had uh, come to the end of her time and she was looking to permanently retire from work and the uh, the opposition came open and uh, I was interested. So we had some discussions with the group there, and, and I decided to give it a shot, and I became the executive director of the organization, and I've been doing that job uh, since 2016. And so it's been a uh, interesting and um, a really interesting experience learning about the nonprofit world, the museum world, uh, in-depth in information about World War II history, and really the importance of uh, liberty ships during World War II is something that a lot of people when they study World War II is one of the kind of the peripheral uh, items is logistics that help support that war effort. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's why I thought this would make a, you know, really uh, interesting podcast. And 
you know, so before, usually I wait till like the end and tell people, hey, uh, why don't you give us the website? But I think you should give us the website address now. So as people listen to this, they can, they can go there and, and uh, check out what we're talking about. Yeah, so our website is www.ssjeremiahobrien.org. And then I'll take you to our homepage. And uh, there's some, some, some information about the vessel. There's uh, some events we have planned this year. A couple of our cruises are up on the website. And you can kind of tool around the website and, and get, get a feel for what the organization does and what the ship's about. Um, it's a pretty decent representation of, of what it is. And, and if you Google us this year, Miles Brian, you really can. Wikipedia will really give you the good rundown on its history and what, what it's been through. But it's, it's a pretty amazing ship as it was. It's the last operating ship that was at Normandy. So of all, all the flotilla that, that landed, the SS Jeremiah O'Brien is the last, you know, mechanically functional ship uh, that still remains. So it's got a little it's place of history, a little, little claim to fame that's, that I think is pretty important um, here in 2022. I, I would agree with that, uh, definitely. And you're, uh, so you gave us the, uh, let's say, uh, cyber location. Where, where is the, uh, where, where is the O'Brien? For the, for the audience, where is it? Uh, Where's it docked? So, yeah, absolutely. It's located in Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco. So if uh, you're, you know, Fisherman's Wharf down there is a pretty touristy area. So if you're visiting the area, chances are you're going to land yourself in the Fisherman's Wharf. Um, and we're actually on Pier 45, which is in the uh, northern end of the wharf. Uh, and so you'll see it's, it's a historic pier. It's one of the piers they used to load out ships during the war, and it's been converted to kind of a museum pier. And so there's the USS Campanito, which is ahead of us. It's a Navy submarine. And then right behind us, or behind them, is the SS Jeremiah O'Brien, which is a uh, World War II merchant vessel. Yeah, so you could go down there and get your uh, a, a big fill of uh, some World War II, uh, let's say, experience. But uh, so, you know, you, you alluded to some of this. And, and you know, and I do want to talk, uh, I do want to talk about some of the stuff that's going on now. But... In your bio, when, when you were talking about, it's funny how the recruiter got recruited, but I, I like that. That's a yeah. good twist. But, so, you know, you're talking about this, um, the nonprofit, the ship, uh, yeah. you know, all, all of these nuances, and people are probably going, oh, okay, you know. So, you know, for full disclosure for everyone, um, you know, I first became aware of the O'Brien in, in the 90s. There was a – somebody put on a – it was a, I think it was called like Celebrate History or something in San Francisco, and it was actually it was a somebody it was a well put on thing. I don't think they made money, but people came from all over the world, and so you know my uh, first experience with the O'Brien was having beers with uh, Eric Top, who was a uh, World War II U-boat ace, and we were having beers in the mess wow. uh, in the officers' mess, and then every day, you know, and it was funny. I, I don't want to say it was funny, but yes, there was there was some animosity. Um, amongst the guests and, and crew as, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Top here did sink 35 uh, allied ships. And uh, so people were a little upset, but, you know, he was like, Hey man, it was war. He didn't say, Hey man, he said it was war, but uh, that was my first experience. And then uh, later on, you know, I became, I was teaching for the Academy of Art University in, or, yeah, in San Francisco and I approached Matt uh, about us doing some work and helping uh, try and um, bring some social media attention to the O'Brien, which, 
it was a great experience for me. And so when you talk about like, hey, you know, what it's like to run the ship and the nonprofit and all the rest of that, I will say that uh, from my from what I witnessed, there there's always activity. You know, Phil's always working. Uh, the, you got other volunteers, docents, and people are operating the needle guns and painting, cleaning. Yeah. And uh, that is just a constant thing, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of uh, being a part of being on the water. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's an operational ship, so a lot of the mariner tasks that happen every day on any mariner ship across the world – um, it happens aboard the ship because we have to, you know, seal preservation, uh, keeping things painted, fighting back rust is a perpetual, uh, it, for any ship it's a perpetual thing, but in particularly with the operating ship, you know, we have mechanical items that need to be working properly. And so we have folks that come in all week long and they're always putting in work, keep things working right, um, in addition to keeping things looking good. So it's uh, that's really the Mariner side of the organization. It's kind of, the O'Brien wears kind of a couple different hats. The Mariner hat is one of them because it is it is a licensed uh, U.S. Coast Guard vessel. It's an ABS uh, American Bureau of Shipping in class vessel. And so in order to, to maintain that, we have to you know meet all these guidelines and, and statutory regulations to allow us to sail. So that's part of my job, and it, it kind of works for me because I was a military guy. I kind of understand it's a military mindset and regulations and rules and it, it's, that's a pretty easy part. Um, the, muse, the museum had it a little more difficult telling the, telling the story in an engaging way about the O'Brien. And, and um, yeah, then a lot of our old-timers can do that really well, uh, especially the World War II vets. A few that are remaining really can tell some amazing stories about Liberty ships and what happened on them and, and how things worked, and it's pretty awesome stuff. It is awesome. And, and I would say, I mean, you know, if you go to San Francisco, it's definitely worth the, 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 the visit. Uh, I even noticed it was kind of interesting too during uh, spending all this time on uh, uh, on the O'Brien, and even during Fleet Week, it was full of sailors, you know. And I was I was really kind of surprised that you'd have these young kids uh, want to come aboard. And I'd ask them, it's like you know, you just, you're you're on a cruise now, right? Yes. Uh, and you came over here and you wanted to see this, huh? And I uh, go, well, you didn't get enough uh, Battleship Gray, I guess, in your life, but. Yeah, they're like, hey, you know, we want to see the the history. We want to see what the people in World War II had to deal with. You know, uh, yeah. what we want to know what it was like. And um, if you, I mean, you visit it, and you you can kind of get that feeling. And I mean, it starts at the yeah. at the the gangway. You know, I mean, that that is another thing. Is people like, oh, well, you know, where's all the uh, accommodations or whatever? This this is a World War Two you know, a fighting vessel. And so as you get on or as you get, you come up and you get on, it, it is very apparent that uh, this isn't, you know, a pleasure yacht. It's utilitarian and it, and it was uh, designed and built in a fashion for a specific uh, purpose. And so I don't know, you know, what's yeah. your take on it? I know that, you know, you're, you're on it all the time too. And you're, you're wandering around the, uh, corridors and below the decks and all the rest of it. I mean, what, what's your take on that? Well, I think, uh, well, first the Navy guys that come aboard, uh, they're a lot of fun because uh, the first thing they do is size up the quarters and they want to see how the living style on a ship compares to what happened during World War II. And 
um, they, you know, they get pleasantly surprised. You know, I think that it, it was actually not as bad as that they probably anticipated, but it, that's the first thing they do is always size up like, okay, how would I be living aboard this thing? I mean, some of the junior, like I would say the junior enlisted or the, the basic Mariners had some tight quarters to live in. But I mean, if you're a, if you're a basic officer aboard a, a merchant ship, you had your own stateroom. It's pretty nice, pretty swanky for the time, I suppose. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. So the, the, the O'Brien is essentially an industrial platform, like a floating industrial platform. It's designed to move cargo. It has its own winches. It, it's self, it's self-supporting vessel because back in the war or in that time in general, we didn't have these ports that had these massive cranes and containerization that we have today, where you just come into a port and you have the tools and the people to move cargo. Uh, the delivery ship really had to do it all. I had to, had to load its own cargo, it had to get to where it needed to go, and it had to be able to deal with problems on the water and also offload cargo because it could end up at a pier that just didn't have, wasn't outfitted. So you had uh, these crew members that were all essentially longshoremen on top of the fact that they were crew, and it was a really hard way to work. If you were spent six months at sea during World War II and if you didn't see any combat, it was a hard life. Uh, you're putting work in 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah, uh, that's, 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 figure. That's, that's probably the biggest difference, I would say. It, it is pretty crazy, and and you know you you did talk about that that this uh, you know there's a lot lot of lot of history, and you know you said you were talking about uh, Normandy and you know Overlord and all the rest of that, but you know some of, some of the vets too you talked to them and they're like yeah we thought you know that invasion of Normandy you know it was over, and then they got orders to go to. The Pacific, and uh, didn't that happen to the O'Brien? Didn't didn't the uh, O'Brien do some Pacific um, tours too, or cruises? It did. It's fine. In fact, that's how it ended up in San Francisco. Its last uh, its last cruise was uh, to Australia to pick up war brides uh, at the conclusion <laughs> of the war. So that was the last. It, it made uh, three trans uh, transatlantic trips to, to England and Normandy, uh, delivering uh, supplies and goods. Um, and then it, it, this last cruise was actually in the, in the Pacific where I picked up war brides and brought them back to San Francisco. And the ship was laid up in Suisun Bay, and, and our organization's founder, uh, Admiral Thomas Patterson, was the, he was actually the director of Merritt at the time, and he earmarked the O'Brien as like a must-save vessel, and he started a nonprofit after he retired. And uh, that's how, kind of how the ship became a museum was sort of through this uh, um, uh, strange uh, uh, series of events that landed the ship in California with Admiral Patterson, who was able to see its value as a historic ship and, and earmark it and create the charity. Yeah, and where you're talking about, and I don't know, some people, you know, you see pictures of it. I always remember it as a kid, like driving by, but it was the Mossball fleet. And there were uh, yep. tons, tons of ships out there, Navy vessels uh, tied up out there. I guess they figured, you know, if we – had another big event. They had all these these ships out there, but most of them went into uh, didn't get the care that the O'Brien gets now. And it, you know they yeah. they looked like uh, they didn't look very good out there. But I know, like you said, and maybe we should go into that a little bit. So, but th- that was one thing with the O'Brien is is that when it was mothballed, uh, the crew didn't yeah. the, the crew kind of go the extra mile on the mothball process. So actually, the, the the vessel was is one of the many ships sitting in Susan, and it sat there for about 30 years, uncared for. It just sat there, chained up in the yard. So it was literally one of these like rusting, floating ships in the yard, and it just just because of the earmark that that was made to that ship as they were beginning to uh, scrap the vessels, getting rid of them, 
he kept shuffling the O'Brien around in the yard to protect it from that, from it, it getting the axe. And then in the 70s, so I sat there from the, from the late 40s all the way to the late 70s, um, and that's when it was rescued as a, as, as a, as a ship. And then it, actually the first yard it had, the first dry dock it had was in the late 70s to, it was to, to get it, to bring it back to sailing condition. But in, in reality, the, the crew had done such a good job in the 40s of preserving the vessel. So what they did was they coated everything in an oily substance in the engine room. And when the crew showed up to take it out of the reserve fleet, it actually ran under its own power, believe it or not, after sitting there for that long. And there's pictures of it all rusty sailing out of the reserve fleet, um, which was pretty remarkable. And that's a testament to the care that that, that crew, uh, the last crew of the O'Brien did uh, when they played it up which was, you know, coat all the machinery and make sure it wasn't going to waste in the suicide for 30 years. So it was pretty good. Yeah. That, that, I mean, you know, that was uh, fortunate. And you did talk about, you know, you, you kind of mentioned, you know, we do cruises and, and all the rest of that. And <clears throat> so uh, yeah. the, the other thing you have to understand, uh, or the listeners have to understand is, is that this is a steam, uh, this, this, vessel has a steam engine and uh, you know there's people you know oh the railroads and you see the steam locomotive and it's impressive I, I'm, I'm not deriding that but to see you know this uh, steam engine uh, let's say you know it, it, the ship's cruising and I mean if you get the chance to go on a cruise you should because it's it's amazing and you get to be in the engine room and you see this thing huffing and puffing and the uh, you know the care of of the crew that you have now that takes care of it. It's uh, it's pretty amazing, and not only and I and I know that I'm not the only one that thinks it's amazing because uh, the engine room itself was used in the movie Titanic, correct? That's correct. Yes. Uh, so it was actually the end, the end room scenes in that movie were filmed down in our engine room, and they used a uh, a, 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 a cinematography trick to get the engine look bigger than it actually is. And uh, they had little they had little figurines that they placed throughout the, the engine room. And then when they, when they filmed the, the scene, it just looked like this huge triple expansion steam engine. It is, it is pretty large if you're in there. If you go down and see our engine, it's, it's huge. But the engine that would have been in the, uh, the Titanic would have been, you know, magnitude larger than the one we have because it was just a huge ship. So, yeah. And, and what's great about the O'Brien is in, in Liberty Ships in general is when they built these things, they used – already sort of invalid, how would it say invalid, what's a good word, um, technology that wasn't modern. It was sort of this proven technology that was kind of being phased out, and they, they put these engines, these triple expansion steam engines in there because they were, for a couple of reasons, they knew they, they were going to have a very young crew operating these things. So they need something that was reliable, easy to work with, easy to understand, easy to fix. Um, they didn't go fast. Um, but technology was there that could be mass-produced, and they were easy to operate. And so when you go into uh, a Liberty ship, you're not seeing technology from the 1940s. You're seeing late 1800s technology, really. I mean, that they were modern in the 1800s. So right. it's an interesting um, piece, piece of that. But it was, it, it was reliable, obviously, because it's, it's still running today. Um, yeah. and, and I will... Um, I, I do, you know, there's nothing uh, like being in the in the engine room when you know they're, they're, you're steaming. I, I just uh, to imagine the the sights and the sounds, uh, 
you know, even the, the smell of grease and there's, you know, steam venting and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's cold yep. in some places and hot in the other. And, uh, I mean, it, it, it's, it's pretty amazing. I, I have to say that to, to, to be a, like a fan of, uh, let's say machinery and, and industrial systems, it's, uh, it, it's very exciting. And then if you really got, you know, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't think that's open to the public, but for me, then from there, for the, the, the business end of the engine and, and uh, shaft alley, and then you can go all the way out to the propeller. And now that, just think about that in a wartime situation. If you're the person that has to be down there to maintain you know, bearings, whatever else you got to do. Scary, man. Really scary. I, I'm sure that Very there are things, yeah, yeah the, the volunteers and, and, and the um, – and the vets and whatnot, do they tell you about their experiences there? I mean, I'm sure you get a lot of that. You share, they share their stories. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is, uh, you know, it is essentially, if you got struck with a torpedo in mid, mid-shift, uh, it was a death sentence for, for engineers. I mean, uh, the, the water would flood the compartment, and you have a, a boiler superheating steam. So you add, you add cold water with, um, you know, two hot boilers, it's, it's a death sentence, um, and you're not even going to drown. Uh, and so if you can imagine that scenario playing out, you know, you know, many hundreds of these ships were sunk uh, throughout the duration of the war. 2,700 were built. Um, hundreds of them were sunk. And many sunk in that fashion, which were, were torpedoed um, in the war. So, you know, talk about uh, bravery. You know, you're, you're a 22, 25-year-old guy. You got your, maybe your second, third job uh, greasing an engine or you're, or you're a boiler or you're a, a fireman water tender. You're keeping the fire going in the boilers, and you're down in this, you know, below deck, in, underwater in this engine room. You know, at any moment could could be sunk by a German U-boat. It's pretty, you know, it's, it's pretty, uh, you know, if you look at today in modern society and the risks we're willing to take as, as, uh, as humans, I mean, that's uh, almost unheard of, unparalleled, if you think about it. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, nerves of steel. Well, we, we do have yeah. a caller. You, you up for a caller? See if they got a question yeah, for you. Yeah. Okay, let's see here what we have. Caller, are you there? My name is Billy. Hey, I'm Billy. How's it there. And I was listening to some of your talk there, and I'm a little confused on a couple things. I just want to clear it up. So, okay. Is this a spaceship? <laughs> All right. No, I guess it's a liberty ship. Yeah, no, somebody's... Uh, Okay. Well, sometimes that happens. It's a, it's a crapshoot with callers, but you never know, you never know. Sometimes people add some really interesting stuff, but uh, gotcha. not in this case. Anyway, so yeah, um, you had to have nerves of steel for sure on this deal. Um, you know, and I also, you know, there, there was the, uh, you know, the the uh, threat of being torpedoed, but also, uh, you know, people talk about in the Pacific the kamikazes and. You know that that whole uh, situation too. So yeah, these guys had to have, um, you know, they had to have the nerves of steel. They went out there and they did it. And most of these guys, uh, you know, did multiple cruises. So kind of uh, scary. So I do want yeah. to talk about some of the, you know, moving into the modern day. Uh, it takes a lot of uh, work and all the rest of that, but the work pays off in um, some of the 
some of what you're you're doing with the public now. Um, like there, there's, you could come, of course, and you could come and you can see the ship. But uh, I know that you have a bunch of other events and um, and a couple of different cruises. So so maybe you could talk about those events and cruises that you guys do. So, uh, if you're looking just to, to come on the ship and experience something really neat, uh, we, we do host uh, a, a fireworks viewing in July, on the 4th of July. Uh, the city puts on a fireworks display in the bay, and, and we are located in a place where uh, it's a really great place to see it. It's pretty remarkable, and that's obviously the 4th of July. We also have the Memorial Cruise, it'll, I believe, on May 21st. Uh, I have to check the website, but it's, uh, it's the Seaman Memorial Cruise. We have it every year. It's an annual tradition, and it's a cruise to honor um, the sacrifices of, of the mariners that went out there and, and, and gave the ultimate price in, in preservation of our values and country. We also have Fleet Week, which is one of as a crowd favorite in October, which uh, um, the Blue Angels and many other uh, aerial displays come on come into the city, and they, the, the Navy fleet comes in, and, and we get an opportunity to sail around, see the fleet, watch the air show. Uh, and really take in uh, sort of a really great week in San Francisco, great weather. Uh, it, it's, it's an awesome time to be on the board of the ship. And you get access to the, the boiler room when it's operating. You get access to the museum while it's operating. Uh, we, we have entertainment aboard. Uh, we feed you. It's all around a, a very fun day, and it's usually four to six hours. So we're not out too long, just, just long enough to get the experience while having to, you know, be out there too long. It's good. Yeah, it is good. And someone who's been on the uh, the Fleet Week cruise, there's I would say there's no better seat in the house for the uh, for the Blue Angels Air Show. That's uh, that's pretty amazing. Um, one, two, yes, you get to cruise. You guys, uh, we I remember we went out uh, under the Golden Gate Bridge, which was pretty cool. That's something you know you don't get to do every day. And um, the food was good. And I believe that there were also the, uh, some beer and whatnot. And I remember the music. And it was a good time. There, there's a lot of people yeah. very upbeat, um, you know, and uh, it, it, flags were flying. It, it, it was a, uh, I would call it a, a patriotic deal. I, I enjoyed it. It was very good. So you do those other cruises, and 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 uh, I would tell people if you're if you're in San Francisco and you want to do like a bucket list. Uh, thing this this is one of those things that i would do especially if i was there in town um but there are other events right i mean there there are corporate events i know there was art events during the time that i was uh, doing the class there there you guys had several different events like wasn't there like a i think a beer tasting thing or uh what kind of events do you guys do we do. We host all kinds of. We, I mean, obviously, if, if a company is looking for a venue, a unique venue for their corporate event, we, we do host those. So uh, you can contact us if you're interested in that. But um, if we're talking just events, it, it really it's every year we do something different. We try to mix it up. We do host. We annually host a beer festival with the San Francisco Brewers Guild. It's one of the more popular uh, beer festivals in the city. Um, and that was, we're, we're working on that right now, trying to get that planned. But Fourth uh, of July is a dockside event. Um, really, uh, I would check the website, and, and we try to do things that are a little different every year. We're trying to put on a Halloween event this year. Um, that all depends on, on whether or not we're going to be in dry dock uh, by that time, but we're hoping we can put something on for the public. It would be really neat to maybe have a haunted his ship experience aboard, aboard the O'Brien. Yeah, well, there's something definitely different. Uh, 
uh, yeah, so there's there's all kinds of stuff, and uh, you know the event that I was on in the '90s, they they did, I think, uh, you know, they rented out the whole ship, and they had swing dancers, and you know, people in uniform, and all. And it was really interesting. So I, I know you do stuff yeah. like that, and uh, so people should probably check the website, see what's going on. There's other uh, things happening, and it'd be a great place for a uh, a corporate event. Um, I thought about even doing the expo there at one time, although, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, it depends on how many people you have, but whatever. Anyway, the, um, there, I know that there's other stuff that you guys do. You guys do youth programs. There's a bunch of, uh, I would call them, uh, kind of the D day bunks down there in one of the holds. And, and don't, don't you do youth, youth programs usually? Yeah, we have a youth overnight program, and it usually is on uh, Saturday, uh, Friday nights and Saturday nights. Um, and we have um, a, a tween hold. Our number three tween hold is converted back into a troop carrier uh, setup. So there's bunks in there, so the kids get to come. Uh, there's some activities for them. They get to do a tour of the ship. Uh, they get to uh, play some games. Um, they get to uh, have some food, really experience what it's like to stay on a ship overnight. Um, and we do a lot of, like, we host a lot of school groups and uh, uh, Boy Scout and Girl Scout troops. And it's a, it's a really interesting. If you're in the Bay Area, you have access to the Bay, and you're a part of affiliated with a youth organization. It's a, it's a really interesting experience for those youth, youth people, the youth um, and troops to to enjoy. Uh, yeah, we have a full we have a full uh, outfitted museum board. I think that's what you're referring to. So it's pretty interactive. There's lots of artifacts that we've we've uh, collected over the years. And if you're really interested in learning in depth about uh, the D-Day invasion. Uh, Normandy, you know, what the liberty, the liberty detailed role, there's lots of information. We have a diorama in our museum that, uh, that French made for us uh, as a thank you, and it, it showcases what uh, one of the beaches looked like in the loadout um, just after the D-Day invasion, which was a lot of the technologies and things that they used to land troops and supplies were innovative during the time. And you can sit there for hours staring at it. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing uh, piece of our artifact that we have down our hold. So um, it's worth a visit for sure. Yeah, and it, it, uh, the, the, the diorama actually puts, I mean, you think, oh, it's a diorama, but it, it kind of puts it in, into perspective what the, the, the beaches looked like and uh, during that invasion. And I don't know if anybody seen uh, Saving Private Ryan or whatever. I mean, it, it, logistically, I mean, my, just putting that all together, uh, you know, somebody had their act together to be able to even put that whole thing together. There were so many ships and men and material, and I mean, uh, just crazy. But even during yeah. uh, the the invasion, you know, people, a lot of people, oh well, you know, you had these uh, cargo ships and and you know, uh, troop ships and whatever else. But uh, what wasn't the uh, O'Brien strafed? Uh, during the uh, we, we were never actually hit, but yeah, we we we've come, we 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 definitely came close uh, during the war uh, to getting hit. But it, you know, we always say that the O'Brien is a very lucky vessel. It's a lucky lucky O'Brien because it, it pretty much escaped the war unscathed, which one of the rare feats of a Liberty ship to not be threatened directly, um, which is pretty awesome. That is awesome, and that's uh, that is lucky because uh, the the uh, you know legend flying around. Interesting. Um, okay, well, you know, I know. So you know, we we we've talked about this as um, also you know being aboard and all of the maintenance and and I you know 
as uh, just somebody who was, was lucky enough to work aboard uh, the, the ship, I think, you know, you get to the public gets to see the ship and this is what's, uh, what's going on and blah, blah, blah. But there's, there's uh, many more uh, parts and pieces and working parts of, of the ship that uh, not the general public doesn't always get to see. And those are other things that have to be maintained. Uh, and one of them would probably be like the, uh, the, the, the steering gear, and uh, you know some of some of the other uh, ancillary equipment, even the even the um, the winches and whatnot. I mean, all that stuff. You guys fire them up. You have to run them. You got to grease them. You got to uh, paint them. You got to. I mean, is it is the is the to do list like two miles long or what? Oh yeah, it's always a uh, we, we always have work to do, and it's a matter of what we can get done. It's never a matter of if we can get it all done. Uh, is unlimited amounts of work. And, and so, uh, you know, from painting, from lubricating, from uh, you know, statutory requirements, you name it, it's, it's, it's perpetual. Um, and that's just because we're an operational ship and there's just so much that needs to get done for, for, for preparation for cruises to make sure the cruises are fun and safe. So, uh, yeah, it, it's quite a bit. And so we this year we'll be going into what's called a dry dock, um, Kind of, kind of a unique thing for Liberty ships, for museum ships in general, to dry dock because it's, it's something that operational ships do, which is take the ship out of the water. We say drain the water out from under the ship. Uh, they clean it up. They replace any steel that's that's uh, compromised. They they put fresh paint on. Uh, we can do all the inspections that need to be done, like sea valves and things of that nature that need to be cleaned. And working up, working, working right. Um, that's this year, and, and going into this year, you know, coming out two years of pandemic, we've, we've essentially been closed to the public uh, up until this last July. So we're kind of behind the power curve on uh, fundraising and preparing for that yard. And so we're really working double time this year to both plan for our maintenance and also fund the maintenance. Um, so if you have an opportunity, if your listeners have an opportunity to uh, check out our website, maybe just visit the ship, uh, do a tour. Um, take a cruise, make a contribution, or even volunteer if you're in the area. Uh, all that stuff really helps us achieve the preservation mission that we have um, and getting the, and keeping this vessel operational uh, for many years to come. Yes, and that uh, that uh, you guys are going to uh, go to Mare Island, is that correct? Still, by, by default, because Mare Island in the Bay Area is the last uh, operational shipyard that we have in the Bay. Uh, so we, that's where we go now. We went there in 2017 when I first started, and now this is my second yard as the executive director, and we'll be going back there. That's interesting. That uh, the Navy Yard in uh, San Francisco, they used to be able to, I think, dry dock two battleships at uh, yeah. at one time, and it's uh, that capability is gone. I mean, we don't really have battleships uh, anymore, but. The Mare Island facility, lots of history there. That'll be interesting. I will definitely, um, when you guys go to Dry Dock, I will, I will definitely be uh, checking that out because that's going to be pretty interesting. And there's, I, I know you've been uh, on your Facebook page, you've been uh, posting some pictures of the last Dry Dock and some of the nuances of that and, um, you know, what's involved interesting process. So I'm looking forward to um, kind of memorializing some of that. And I'm hoping some of the other uh, folks involved are doing that too, because there's going to be lots of, uh, lots of interesting uh, visuals uh, for us to see. So beyond, but besides all the work that you guys have to do, 
um, you know, on, on the daily and all of the maintenance and, and everything else. You guys, there was a fire on the pier. And I, I know I've talked to people, I talk to people all around the world, uh, mainly about drones, but people were aware of the fire at uh, Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco when that, that the pier caught fire. People yeah. were less aware that the O'Brien was there. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they, they know there was a ship there, not, but we're really sure what that was. So maybe we could talk a little bit about the fire, um, how that affected the ship, and, um, you know, if, if that what, what what that added to the workload? Oh yeah, um, it almost uh, it all blends together with the pandemic for me. So I, I almost I don't want to say I forget about it, but it, it seems like that was a really bad year in general. Um, and so in 2020, if you, everyone remembers, we, we sort of went into lockdown in March, um, and in May we, we are we are parked at Pier 45, and Pier 45 on it are four. Uh, like industrial warehouse type sheds, they call them sheds, but they're really, really big in, uh, buildings. And I believe they were constructed all during World War World War One era. Uh, so pretty old, old, old buildings. And um, something happened. We don't really sure. We think it's electric, an electrical fire uh, sprung up on the roof of Shed C, which is the shed located directly next to that's just Jeremiah O'Brien. So I would say if you were to imagine our ship docked at the pier, maybe 20 feet. Um, uh, off the pier is where this this shed begins, and so uh, early in the morning, um, I'd say at three or four in the morning, uh, the fire started and uh, burned into the uh, throughout the entire day. It actually took them um, they they were able to get most of it out in the first day, but it took them about a week to actually put out the entire fire. It was it burned so hot and it done so much damage that it was just um, it was very hard for the for the San Francisco Fire Department to put it out. But uh, it, it, we were very we were in jeopardy of losing the vessel, and it wasn't for the San Francisco Fire Department and their fire boats, which were able to get to us in, in a very quick manner of time, within minutes, um, and put water directly on the O'Brien and put water directly on the, the surface of the of the of the shed that was facing the O'Brien. It's very likely that the fuel we had aboard, um, uh, you know, any combustibles that we had in the ship would have went up and even even with their health we had a lot of stuff melt we had to replace all of our cargo gear because uh, it was just heat, exposed to a lot of heat damage um, a lot of the a lot of the portholes cracked on the ship we had to replace them um, and there's still some paint you can see on the ship if you're if you ever go to the ship you can see some of the, the peeled paint from the, the heat of the fire and we're hoping to get some of that fixed in the dry dock this year we will get some of that fixed in the dry dock this year but it really was uh an apocalyptic event for, for hours we weren't aware me and uh, my team didn't know if the vessel was going to make it or not we didn't know until um better footage came in and we could see that the, the firefighters had done a great job of of, of uh keeping keep everything wet and, and cool enough where it didn't damage the ship so pretty, uh, you know as insult to injury with the, with the pandemic, the fire, uh, really one of the hardest points in the ship's life. But like O'Brien said earlier, the O'Brien's kind of a lucky vessel, and it just, you know, uh, it manages to uh, survive these apocalyptic scenarios, which is a credit to the ship and, and uh, the people that help it. It is. And, uh, you know, and I think, and, you know, also I know you guys uh, are very community-minded, and, uh even with the fire department, I didn't didn't you let them do a little training uh, around the O'Brien and whatnot in the past? 
Oh, yeah. We let uh, all, all agencies in the area that, that look for vessels to train on, we allow them to come and use the, the Brian as, as a training platform. So the firefighters are, some of them are very familiar with the vessel locations on the vessel, which is very helpful. Um, if we have an emergency, you, get, you have folks that are local that know how to get aboard and how to move around the ship. The fire, firemen, they do, uh, or the policemen, they do a lot of uh, boarding uh, practices and things of that nature aboard the ship. So we have a really tight uh, relationship with uh, emergency services in the San Francisco Bay Area because, uh, you know, w without them, and, and this is a prime example of this fire, without their support in that particular instance, uh, we wouldn't have a ship. Right, right. Well, that's interesting. And so we're, we're close, you know, the, the 45 minutes always goes really fast. It's crazy. Um, and we're, yeah. we're closing down here. We're, we're within five minutes. Uh, I, the other thing I wanted to talk about is so even while I was uh, in my time aboard, I noticed you guys were down there and you were doing some work to the boilers. Uh, and yeah. switching out all of the, you know, you know how steam engines work. I don't really have time to go and do it all now, but you can check it out. But anyway, uh, the the boilers are getting uh, a refit, and all the pipes are coming out. These are the original pipes that were in uh, that have been there since the ship was built. And you had uh, maybe you could tell us about that and what's what's going on with that effort. Yeah, at the beginning of last year, we we were able to uh, re retube our uh, both our port and starboard boilers, and so you know there were the reliability of those boilers allows us to cruise. So we're taking those pipes as part of a fundraiser for uh, this, this upcoming dry dock and allowing people to make a contribution to our, our fund. And in exchange for that contribution, we're going to send them a segment of that tube. Um, what's interesting about that tube, well, first, it was a, it's a original O'Brien boiler tube, so this stuff was at Normandy. So you can own, own a piece of that uh, connected history. But if, you're, uh, if you hold the tube and you're, you're, you're feeling the, the contours and the and the wear in those tubes, that, that is an indication of its service over eight decades. So um, it, it's an interesting thing to, to have in your hand and feel and, and to, to stay, talk about um, because it's, it's directly connected to American history, and you can kind of sort of feel the, the textured uh, surfaces from all the steam heat over years and years and years of service. So but my, my plan is here shortly we're going to be launching a fun, fun, fundraising drive that will allow people to uh, make a contribution in exchange for a piece of that. And we're excited about that. I think a lot of folks are going to be interested to have something like that. And, and doing that would help us dramatically in, in getting a lot of the work that we want to get done done at this year's shipyard. Sure. I, um, you know, we've uh, we've talked about it a little bit in the past, and I'm sure it's like, uh, you know, when you bring the, the car in for your service, uh, you know, you think you're going to get the oil changed and the tires rotated, and they're like, oh, yeah, hey, look, uh, we found uh, the the muffler bearings out, and you need to come in here and check this out. And we got to so there's 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 probably always extra work when you get there. So yeah. punchline on that one, right? You, you you pop the hood on an 80 year old ship, you're going to find things you weren't expecting to find. It's just the nature of the business. <laughs> exactly. I just, you know I'm trying to equate it to like a four year old car. So you know I can only imagine the uh, the mechanics. You know they come back and go, oh god, yeah. So, uh, and I know, Gene, you were pretty quiet because I just yacked my head off like I usually do. Do you have any questions, buddy? No, I've just been sitting here uh, doing a little of my own research here and discovered that uh, uh, the ship was named after a commander of the Sloop Unity. So, uh, man, I've just been I'm kind of a history buff anyway, so I've just been kind of sucking it all up, listening to you guys and doing my own research. So it's pretty cool. I mean, <laughs> We we didn't even get to talk about uh, 
Now, Matt, I have my own 501c3 nonprofit organization, and I cannot imagine Wonderful. what you have to go through on that end to get the kind of funds that you need to make that ship operational. So hats off to you, brother. Well, thank you. It, it takes a community. So um, all I am is the, the connecting piece to uh, the community that allows for this thing to stick around. Uh, and so if this thing goes to dry dock and it succeeds, it's because the, the, the community – Americans at large are interested in seeing it preserved for posterity. And that's the most important thing to me is seeing support that equates to, you know, the appreciation for something like this. Yeah. And, uh, and I also think, uh, you know, don't, don't sell yourself short, but you got a good uh, working demeanor. You're, you're, you're usually, you're, I would call you kind of a, from what I've seen, unflappable, you know, which is probably good. In, in, uh, in, in being director of 501c3 that's got to deal with this kind of um, – I don't want to – I'm sure 20 years uh, as a enlisted man in the Marines helped significantly. And, by the way, thank you for your service, sir. I appreciate that, uh, Dean. That, that's uh, – yeah, I appreciate that, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, I, I've been through some you, – you go through some adversity in the service, and that helps you with things later in life. There's no, there's definitely a truth to that. But I would say that, uh, you know, it, it, it's a distinct pleasure of mine. You know, it, it, is, it, it is an honor and a pleasure to be affiliated with the vessel and, and to represent the mariners and the folks that served on it. And, you know, I can't think of a better way to spend my time post-retirement than to be a, a representative of that awesome legacy. Uh, that's great. And that's why we wanted to uh, have you on, uh, Matt. So uh, thanks so much for being on. Um, I, I would urge anyone who goes to San Francisco to go do a tour. This is, this is uh, definitely like a one in a million type of thing. So with that, we'll say uh, our, our farewells. And uh, until next week, everyone, we'll, we'll see you then. Thanks, Pat.